0: One of the major goals for us was to give a huge amount of transparency into operating a root server and what the stakeholders can then see. So our drive was really to have high fidelity presentation of all of the DNS data that we see, modulo anonymization and privacy, obviously. So we came across the fact that there was DSC and it was lossy. It was lossy in the wrong way for us. We needed that high fidelity, and we really wanted to get to a point where we could have such accuracy that we could almost even recreate a DNS packet based on our telemetry.
1: You're listening to Ping, a podcast by APNIC discussing all things related to measuring the internet. I'm your host, George Michelson. This time, I'm talking to Sarah Dickinson, one of the two principals and founders of Synodon Internet Technologies, and Terry Manderson from ICANN, where he is the VP of Information Security and Network Engineering. Terry is in charge of the provision of ICANN Managed Route Servers or IMRS, otherwise known as the L-Route, Anycast Service that ICANN operates one of 13 root name servers deployed worldwide. Sarah Terry and I discussed how Synodon wrote, and then helped ICANN to deploy a new measurement and monitoring system in two parts, the DNS stats compactor and the DNS stats visualizer. ICANN has 191 instances of Lroot in 84 economies worldwide, many of which don't have high bandwidth access for the management functions like statistics reporting. So the design of these components has been heavily influenced by a need to keep the data as compact as possible while retaining as much information as they can. Hello, and welcome to Ping. So I'm sitting here with Terry Manderson and Sarah Dickinson. Guys, could you introduce yourselves?
0: Thanks, firstly, George, for having us along. Love the chat. My name's Terry Manderson. I'm the Vice President of Network Engineering and Information Security at ICANN. One of my key roles in that is I'm operationally responsible for one of the root servers for the internet. We call it ICANN Managed Root Server or IMRS, but otherwise it's colloquially known as Lroot. We're trying to move away from that name because the real technical name is l.rootservers.net. That's a bit of a mouthful. It is a mouthful. That's why we went to IMRS.
2: <laughs> Hi, I'm Sarah Dickinson. I'm co-founder of Cynodon, We're a small consultancy that does research and development. We focus on open standards and open source code. We've been coming to the IETF for many years now, and we've also been collaborating with ICON on the DNS stats project.
1: So, PING is all about measurement, and we're here today to talk about measurement in the context of the DNS, In the wide, although your specific responsibility is this root server function, so can we talk a little bit about the problem space here? People who are working in DNS might be familiar with a technology called DSC. Now, my memory is that DSC is based on full packet capture.
2: It does full packet capture on a node but it then amortizes the information in the packets at about a five-minute interval. Right. And so you get a drastically reduced file size, but when you ship it off the node, you only have the five-minute aggregation. You don't have the full packet. So
1: it's one of those classic data models that has a visibility of everything but then winds up massively compressing it to get it off-node. And the sense would be, I guess, that it
0: kind of wasn't adequate for the needs you had, Terry. Uh, No, one of the major goals for us was to give a huge amount of transparency into operating a root server and what the stakeholders can then see. So our drive was really to have high-fidelity presentation of all of the DNS data that we see, modulo anonymization and privacy, obviously. So we came, came across the fact that there was DSC And it was lossy it was lossy in the wrong way for us we needed that high fidelity and we really wanted to get to a point where we could have such accuracy that we could almost even recreate a dns packet based on our telemetry so people often think
1: root servers must be giant steam engine machines operating in big facilities all the world's traffic goes there but that's actually not what a root server label like your IMRS system is, is it? It's quite a large number of discreetly separate
0: things. That's correct. It's, we deploy, or well, we have deployed, near 200 instances around the world in various locations. Some of the instances are smaller location or smaller um, footprints, others are quite large. And they're different for different reasons. But w- when we were looking at this problem, we realised that whatever we had to do had to fit every model of our deployment plan. Right. And if we just kind of abstract away a little
1: bit from DNS, it's a problem of having two or three or four or unknown numbers of things you want to collect information about. And some of them have constrained management bandwidth, because typically you have a separation between the front door, which you might have a lot of bandwidth on to do service on, but you want to have a backdoor channel, you can come in to look at things. And your problem includes, you just can't bring full packets out of
0: the room. There isn't enough bandwidth. That's correct. And the second you have some anomalous behaviour, such as a denial of service attack, we're then shipping all of that traffic back as well into our, our central location for analysis. And that's just a complete duplication of the the event. Now we needed to avoid that so that we weren't impacting not only our front side infrastructure, but also our management side infrastructure as well. So we're talking a space where
1: it is DNS and the prior software that people are familiar with, DSC, it does too much data reduction. It's essentially producing five minute bins. There's no ability to introspect and see back into the original material and you came up with something as a proof of concept that's now become ICANN's DNS stats development. I think, if I have this right, you've split it into two halves, is that correct?
2: So what we've done is we've standardised a storage format, lets you choose to capture the entirety of the DNS payload, but in compressed files, which are significantly smaller than full packet captures you would get with PCAPs. And then we have downstream processing that can consume those files, store it in a database and visualize it with Grafana.
1: So it's kind of torn in half into a compactor collector side and a visualizer side. Yep. Let's talk a little bit about that compactor side. So how are you actually doing this encoding? What's the magic sauce that gets you from a full packet capture down to something that's better than an aggregate, but smaller than a packet?
2: So what we chose to do was use an underlying format that was already an open standard. So that's something called CBOR that was standardized at the IETF in 2013. Right. You can think of it as a serialization format for JSON data. It's a little more sophisticated than that, but it's essentially binary JSON.
1: So if we're all familiar with how JSON looks, it's a syntactic form that's popping up absolutely everywhere. Yeah. And it's really quite analogous to constructs in modern programming and scripting languages. You get arrays, you get key value stores, you get atoms that can be strings or simple number forms, you get labels into things. That's kind of nice for people to look at. Binary is never nice for people to look at.
2: No, but the huge advantage you get with this is the compression. It really gives you an extremely concise format for storing data.
1: So if we also think about text formats that people are used to using, there is of course ASN1, which is maybe more my generation than yours. You were not going to a format like ASN1, were you? No. You were no. never going there.
2: No, that wasn't on the list. <laughs> so
1: do you actually implement full CBOR or have you done some restriction of context? This like a domain specific language.
2: So what we do is we use CBOR as a serialization format, and then we've defined what's called the CDNS format which just uses Siebel for storage. And cDNS is a compressed way of storing DNS packets that uses indexing structures to take advantage of the fact that when you look at a lot of DNS traffic, you see a lot of commonality in it. For example, the server address is always the same. If you're sending a packet to a root server, the number of queue names that you see, the range is quite small. So you can have, for example, a block of all the queue names you see, capture a packet, and just index into the queue name that was in that particular packet. So you write the queue name once, but it can appear in many packets.
1: That's kind of the fundamental mechanism for a lot of compression ideas. It's like Lempel-Ziff compression, it's the dictionary, but rather than having an arbitrary dictionary based on string frequency, you've kind of preloaded a DNS dictionary.
2: analyzed the DNS packet and then picked it apart to create the most efficient set of indexing structures that we could. So that when we write the cDNS file for the first time, we we are reducing duplication within the file format at that stage.
1: So Terry, you mentioned that sort of the goal here was to improve transparency of the system and to improve the ability to see data. This mechanism is working for you
0: now as a way to get information off-site from a node? Oh, absolutely. We've been running with this for a number of years now and it's consistently improved our ability to see what's occurring at locations and to respond properly and appropriately within engineering efforts from immediate remediation to something that's happened that we've seen or even future planning. But you have done this at a price, you no longer have the full packet coming out of
1: the room. Although you were never in a position to take long-lived full packet streams out of the room. So there are some things that it isn't able to tell you.
0: We have some loss around the the transport. So we lose some of the, the packet information that comes along with UDP or TCP. But we have all the information about the DNS portion, which is really the important thing that we're looking at. When we think about running a, a root server or a piece of infrastructure like this, we're trying to do the best thing for the protocol. Because the best thing for the protocol ends up being the best thing for the recursive resolver, which is essentially our client. And. There are some
1: things that people are interested in that are highly packet-specific, but those are really constrained problems. You're kind of operating in the domain of its DNS. The underlying transport might differ a bit. But Sarah, I think you've said previously you do actually have some tooling that can take one of these compressed representations and kind of remake a packet. Not necessarily the packet, but a packet.
2: So we we have a tool that can consume a cDNS file and generate a PCAP. Now, it won't be identical to the PCAP you would have captured on the wire. For example, we don't capture information about TCP sessions. So when we do the regeneration, we assume that every TCP exchange happened in one TCP connection.
1: Right, so you don't capture everything about it, but you did know it was TCP.
2: Precisely, and we have enough that with a few defaults, we can create a PCAP that will load into any tool that processes PCAP.
1: Do you also have a tool which will take PCAPs and produce this format? Yes. So you kind of made some glue software here that's a bit bi-directional. People who've got existing investments in full packet capture, maybe they're doing port span and they're generating these dump files, they can actually live in this cDNS ecology.
2: So we have two components in the open source implementation of the cDNS format. The compactor can consume either a PCAP file or listen on a network interface or we've actually got an adapter so that it can consume a stream of DNS TAP messages coming out of any of the open source name server implementations that support DNS TAP. Right. So you can create these files in any one of those ways.
1: Oh, that's really quite nice. And this software's freely available. I mean, you, principally, you were doing development for
0: ICANN, but you were always heading to open source openly available code. Absolutely. Whatever we do in ICANN, The goal for us is to assist the community as much as we possibly can. I'm talking about the DNS community and the research community. And tooling like this can help every operator create a good understanding of their own DNS infrastructure, as well as potentially feedback into research organizations like DNS OARC. And there's nothing in this which is unique to
1: the root. This is a mechanism for looking at DNS data on the wire that's applicable anywhere in the system. It could be client to recursive, recursive to authoritative. It could be authoritative to root. Any part of that dialogue, you could apply this technology.
2: It's completely general purpose, and the format is independent of how you capture it. So you can choose to implement capture mechanisms in a whole variety of ways, depending on your environment.
1: So, Sarah, were you coding this yourself? Was there a team of people working on this?
2: So we developed it at Synodon. Jim Haig was the lead developer on it, and he did some great work. He used what at the time was modern C++, plus plus eleven, but it's, it's a few years ago now. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Would you consider a re-implementation in languages like Rust, or are you kind of glued on to C as your development environment? Not completely.
2: I'd love to see it reimplemented in Rust. I think if Rust had been as prevalent then as it is now we probably would have done the original implementation in Rust.
1: Yeah, I kind of hear on the wire chatter that people look at modern languages and look at older code bases, and there's that kind of imperative, maybe it's time to bring old code into the modern era. I'm not 100% sure myself where I stand on this, because I don't know how to code in Rust. But as Terry would know from some past associations, nobody wants to run code I've been involved in <laughs> developing. I don't imagine you're writing much of the code here either, Terry, are you? No, my days of coding are probably well past, and that's a healthy thing. And did the drive for this kind of originate in you, Terry, or were there other people involved as well? So the original
0: idea man who thought about doing this was Joe Abley. And so he instigated the idea initially and then kind of handed it over to me and said, let's see what we can do with this. And from there on, we've gone through a number of iterations. We've obviously started with the DSC product, which was proof of concept, and then developed it. Change some behaviors, change the databasing structure. And now we're where we are right now, which is, and I think Sarah can probably tell me all the specifics of hand as to all the versions we're running, but it's really quite a wonderful stack.
2: So we're using a nice set of technologies. So we have our own open source implementation to capture the CDNS yeah. tools. One of our components that can consume cDNS can, as well as generating PCAP files, it can also output templated version of the data, which means you can suck it directly into a database. We're using ClickHouse, which we have found to be incredibly efficient for consuming this data. You
1: must have an astronomical budget for data storage with 200 points of collection and an analog that can go back to packet capture. This is not a small amount of
0: data disk space is actually relatively cheap. So that's the nice thing about the classic Moore's law problem is that we keep seeing decreasing price points for storage. So really what our biggest hits are is post-processing CPU. It's not actually the retention of the data. That's not your problem. That's not the
1: problem at all. So you're going to be in a position, if this keeps running, you're going to be in a position to do multi-year analysis of behavior of the DNS, trend analysis in long-term outcomes which for me is fascinating because we're in this really quite weird time we've gone through the transition of your mother's dns that was pure udp small packet to edns which had the potential to large packet dns over tcp and we've got these other protocols emerging sarah you're involved in work which is kind of not related to this but it's the idea of providing secured dns transports the stubby activity. Yes. So that means that we're now looking at DNS over HTTPS, DNS over Quick, DNS over TLS. Yep. There's a lot of transports for DNS. And that mix of technology underneath the packet
0: is something you guys are going to be able to track. We should be able to track it. There are some concerns about changing the, the transport layer, especially when you start adding in encryption, because then you've got A layer that you've got to break through essentially. Or make a decision not to break through. Or not to break through, exactly. And these are some open questions we have, and we're not there yet, bit of work in progress and more thinking required as to how we might approach that. So one of the things a
1: little back from the encryption issue is the work that's underway to change algorithms for signing and concern that's emerging in the DNS community over fragmentation of DNS, uplift into TCP, the consequences for flows. It sounds like this stats compactor format is actually going to be able to address that. You're going to see on-the-wire events and you're going to be able to answer the question, what's the relativities of UDP to TCP? What's the extent of fragmentation
0: behaviour and recall behaviour? It feels like a good fit. We think it's a very good fit. We've obviously seen some of the, the key role events happen and have seen what occurs to packet sizes and various other events related to that. So I think it's just a brilliant insight into the ecology of the DNS system.
1: So we talked a lot about the compactor and the collector side, and you've mentioned that you're using ClickHouse as the intermediary, which means there's a large data store, is this like a time series database that you're making out the other side? So
2: ClickHouse is a time series database. It's, it's SQL, but it's optimized to handle time series information. Right. Um, and it has some nice features whereby we can pull in our raw data, which describes the whole DNS payload of a packet. But on insertion, you can structure it so that it will actually do a five-minute aggregation as you insert the data.
1: So the thing that DSC was doing as its export format, you can now calculate as an aggregate on input into this clickhouse stream.
2: And what that gives you is something which is two orders of magnitude smaller in storage size. So you can keep huge amounts of this data. Yeah. It's also much faster to access, so you can create high-level graphs that give you the overview. Yeah. And then if you find an incident of interest, you can drill right down into the underlying packets because you have the full description. I think they're probably all
1: old enough that we at some time have used RRDP with SNMP feeds, and I remember that it had that ability up to a very limited window where it kept full count, and once you went back in the stack and looked at older data, its aggregation model had actually thrown away huge amounts of data. You wouldn't have exposure to the finer grain. But you're saying with this system, you really aren't concerned about retention of five-minute computed averages for the long haul? Absolutely. Oh, that's fantastic. Is it a sharding system? Does it actually distribute across multiple backends?
2: It does, yes, yeah. But um, one of the nice things about ClickHouse is that you can configure it very lightly and it will handle all of that for you behind the scenes. So
1: I've been talking to some people who've been looking at the impact of deployment of a new Anycast node in their responsibility in DNS. And one of the things they observed is that it's quite interesting, the effect when you put a new node up, it has two outcomes, particularly in the root. Clients, as I understand it, doing periodic delay sensing for the root letters, they kind of bind, builds up a model of what it knows about the delay to a given route. And if you deploy a new one, there's two things. You may shift which of your existing nodes traffic goes to, to your, your instance of IMRS. I mean, L route for oldies like me. But you might also bring in new traffic from another letter. You might change the surface of delivery. I think it sounds like your system would
0: actually be really perfect for measuring these kinds of effects. When we've done deployments, we did a deployment quite recently into Nairobi we used exactly this system to work out where the traffic was going to and where the traffic was coming from in terms of the geographical or topology shift. And so it was really helpful for us to then understand, given that the level of critical infrastructure like root servers in Africa wasn't so high, we really were keen to see what was happening there. And especially then to see how many of the clients were within the same continent, versus previously seeing a lot of that traffic in other geographical locations. And
1: you didn't have to construct an experiment to do a before, during, after. This is kind of an always-on collection system, right? So part of the bootstrapping of a new node, does that automatically include it in the data set? Absolutely. And that means you just deploy, you have the pre-state, you have during transition and post-state, you have all the data without having to construct a special view to collect it. Yep. Oh, I think that's really very nice. So the visualizer, mm-hmm. you said Grafana. Yep. I've used Grafana a little bit. I'm sure lots of people listening to this will have used it. It generally needs quite a bit of tuning.
2: It depends what you're looking at. It's very good on time series data because that's really one of its major goals. Historically, it was quite poor around things like if you wanted a, a geographic map or you wanted stacked bar charts. Yeah. So early in our implementation, we ended up customizing some plugins for Grafana to actually give us very specific pictures that we wanted. Grafana has matured quite a lot, particularly with the 10.0 release, and we've actually been able to switch back to now using native Grafana for all of these visualizations.
1: Yeah, it's very ironic that you get to a product that's capable, but you have to do the add-ons. You develop the add-on, you get to the end of the project and the base product has the functionality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that kind of happens. So for the geo part, you're in that intersection of geolocation. Are you building your own model of geolocation
0: here? Where are you getting geodata from? Geodata comes from our good old friends at MaxMind. Yep. Oh, everybody uses them. Everyone does. Yeah. There's some
1: quite interesting stuff there around the impact of VPNs, which are just completely outside our control. They seem to have a quite good idea of the modeling of that behavior. But I'm sometimes looking at the IP addresses that people are presenting in service, particularly in the DNS, thinking, do I really believe that's a reflection of client location? Which comes to ECS. Do you support ECS exposure coming back into the DNS query?
2: Full packet capture, we capture all the sections of DNS so right. that we can then go back and pick apart what's in there and look at any of the options that are requested.
1: So you've got all of that payload and yep. you understand the difference between the resolver providing the query but the ECS hints that were are going in there. That's really quite interesting. You're building up a very, very nice model of DNS behavior. So what's next for the system, Terry? What, what are you thinking of doing?
0: Scalability is always one of the key drivers. But as I mentioned earlier, we're considering that the whole transport situation as it is right now. And we know that we've got Doe, we've got DNS over TLS, Quick, et cetera, all coming along. And we're wondering whether there'll be a, a shift of resolver to authoritative server transport change in that regard. It's an open question. Yeah, We just don't really know at this stage. If we think about the reasons behind DOE or uh, DNS over TLS, et cetera, it's really about that privacy point. Once the query comes out of, and let, let's say it's a QA minimization query comes out of a resolver, is there anything meaningful there? Does it need to be encrypted? At this stage, we don't know. It could be. So you know, there are still some open questions there and that, that I think is the, the future work that we're going to have to approach at some point in time but I think it's early days right now.
1: Yeah, when you think about On The Wire, you're probably going to arrive at a place where on-the-wire states are still shrouded by protection mechanisms and you might be counting out a state. But if you're an authority to answer the question, there has to be a component of logic that's seeing inside that cryptid state. And it feels a little bit like you might be making a version of the compactor collector that's having to see those off-the-wire states to generate the information feed to go back into cDNS.
2: And that's something. It's one of the reasons we added the uh, compatibility with the DNS tap feed because that actually comes from inside the name server when it's decoded the message and is processing it off the wire. Yeah. What we're seeing is particularly between stub and resolver that more and more operators are having to shift their observation point to cater for increases in encrypted traffic.
1: So. The DNS ecology is kind of constantly changing, and I think it's nice to have measurement tooling that gives us an ability to ask arbitrary questions. I suspect there's a set of questions that you may not be able to answer, perhaps things that go to fragmentation or TCP flow behavior, but that's a conscious decision you've made in the interest of making this thing scale. But it does sound like it's going to be possible to see an awful lot of DNS behavior through this kind of system.
0: Yeah, it's really limited only to your imagination as what questions you want to actually ask and how you want to visualise it.
2: Also, one of the things we did when we created the standard for the format is we made sure it was extensible. So we have the option to go back and extend the model and potentially bring in additional information about the transport if we really see the demand for it.
1: So, CBOR binary JSON, that's standardized in IETF. Yes. And CDNS, the restriction of context in CBOR, that's standardized in IETF.
2: Correct. Yeah.
1: Oh, so, the whole thing is a stack of standards behavior documented in IETF.
2: Absolutely, with open source code on top of it.
1: And there's a GitHub repo that we can include in the blog about this to give people pointers to this.
2: Probably the easiest thing is just to look at dns stats.org and you can access all the different information you need from that site.
1: This is not restricted to only one platform. If you can build the software and see the packet flows, it should run on any modern architecture.
2: Absolutely, completely hardware agnostic.
1: Oh, that's really nice, good system. Well, Terry, Sarah, this has been fascinating. Thank you very much for coming on Ping and talking about things. My pleasure, anytime.
2: Happy to be here, thanks for asking us.
1: If you've got a story or research to share here on Ping, why not get in contact by email to ping at or via the APNIC social media channels. Also remember the measurement at apnic.net mailing list on Orbit is there to discuss and share relevant collaborative opportunities, grants and funding opportunities, jobs and graduate placings, or to seek feedback from the community on your own measurement projects. Be sure to check out the APNIC website for all your resource and community needs. Until next time.